0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We have been in a sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, kind of looking at individual encounters between Jesus and people uh, in the Gospel. And so it has been, we're I think maybe three or four in the series now, and so we are now uh, coming up to this interaction with Jesus and a man who is a paralytic, so we're going to look at chapter five, starting in verse 17. I'm going to read, and then I'll pray for God's help, and then we will look at what Jesus is showing us here together. So chapter five in Luke chapter and Luke chapter five, starting in verse 17. On one of those days, as he was, are we good? Oh, Apple. No. G- you can count on Jesus. You can't count on Apple. Um, on one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home and immediately he rose up before them, picked up and picked up what he had been laying on, and went home glorifying God and amazement seized them all and they we're glorifying and they glorify God and we're filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. All right. Let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this testimony. We thank you for this story of Jesus. And we ask that as we look at Jesus in these words together, that we would see his glory and that we would trust him. God, we ask that we would trust him with our lives as we look at this. Together in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Have you ever thought what it's uh, what it means to trust people? I don't know if you have trust issues. I don't know if you struggle with trusting people. But have you ever thought about what it means to trust people? How do I how do I know I can trust you? How can I know that you're worthy of trust? How can I know that you'll pull through? How can I know that you know I can lean on you and trust you? I don't know if you have that uh, trusted companion. You know, I I at least. uh, in America growing up, there was this kind of image of the young boy with his dog, his trusty dog that he would always lean on and trust in and have around. Have you ever thought about what it means to trust somebody? I don't know what it, what it means for you, but it, in my mind as I'm thinking about what it means to trust somebody, there's something about somebody's character, something about their, who they are, you get to know who they are deep down, you get to ask the questions about what's their, their core values what do they love, what do they want to be, who they are. You have to know something about the quality of this person, that you want to trust them. You want to know who they are. You want to lean on them. You know, this whole this whole category of trusting somebody, I don't know if it ev- evokes for you, like, yeah, I can never trust people or not. Uh, I don't know if that's the sort of question you think about, but um, it's actually kind of at the heart of what's going on in some of this passage here. Because what's going on in... And Luke is that Jesus has at this point been going around doing all these miracles. He's been healing people. He's been teaching great things about God. He has been opening the Bible in profound ways that people have never heard before. Uh, And he's, as we saw last week, he's doing miracles that only really God can do. Last week we looked at how he healed a leper, which was really um, doing something that only God's miraculous power could do. And so here he is walking around, And you have to kind of ask the question, you know, like um, is this guy, you know, selling snake oil or um, is this guy somebody that we could trust? Uh, You know, we hear time and time again of all these like cult leaders that, you know, crop out of nowhere. Um, You know, we had the whole phrase like uh, drinking the Kool-Aid, which comes from Jim Jones, who had this whole, you know, like thousands of people who were in this cult that were dedicated to him. He was a great guy, taught great things. And he poisoned grape juice, and they made them all drink it, and they all died. You know, so is this, is this what's happening with Jesus? Because here he is gathering crowds and crowds of people. Is this a guy to be worried about? Like, how can we, how can we trust him? Because it's great that he can do all these good things, but like is he somebody that we can trust? You see this kind of going on? This, the, this the tension of Jesus, of who he is, is developing in the Gospel of Luke. And we're running into this story here with this paralytic, which seems kind of like a bit of a mundane, in some ways, this mundane healing moment that Jesus chooses to be a a revelation to show us who he is, that we can trust him. And I think, as we're going to look through this passage, the simple truth that we're called to is that we can trust Jesus completely. We can completely trust Jesus with everything. And we're going to see that in how Jesus interacts with these, these people in this story Um, we're going to see that Jesus can be trusted. And another way for talking about trust is just talking about faith, right? I mean, we talk about faith, we talk about trust, kind of the same thing. You know, I don't know if you have people say, I've got faith in you. You know, I I trust you. I know that you can pull through this. We're talking about faith in Jesus because Jesus is going to be talking about their faith. And are we going to be able to trust Jesus? Can we put our faith in him? What does it mean to trust him? And I think as we look through this, we're going to see qualities about Jesus. We're going to see qualities about faith to show that, yeah, we, we can trust Jesus. We can trust Jesus with everything. We can trust Jesus completely. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to look through the story. I'm not like a, uh, I don't have like incredible ways to wow you with this passage. We're just going to walk through the passage and look at who Jesus is. And we're just going to, we're going to see three qualities about faith, what it means to trust Jesus. Three, three things of what it means to trust Jesus that I think underlying this as we're looking at these three aspects, three qualities of faith as we look at them, I think they're going to uphold the simple truth we can trust Jesus completely. So we're going to look at faith uh, Faith is persistent, that faith is liberating, and that faith is joyful. Don't worry, I will, we'll hit those as we move along. But faith is, uh, we're going to look first at these friends, we're going to look at this, situation going on here. So we're going to see first in verses 17 through 19 that faith is persistent. So when we read, starting in verse 17, On one of those days, as He, this is Jesus, as He was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village in Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Him, that's Jesus, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, then went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles, into the midst before Jesus. So you see, here we have this increasing activity around Jesus, an increasing number of people who are interested in Jesus, an increasing number of things Jesus is doing and teaching, and there is a massive crowd. I don't know if you've ever been to a conference. I don't know if you're like a claustrophobic type person that like doesn't like to be in large groups of people. Um, I, don't know, uh, Jay, I know Jay was just at Together for the Gospel and there's like 10,000 pastors there. I mean, it, to me, that just sounds like, I, I just want to like sit in a closet it just sounds incredibly oppressive, But just a large crowd of people. I mean, you can imagine this is kind of what's going on, right? There's a huge number of people that are coming out to see Jesus. He's been healing people. He's been teaching in ways they would never heard before. They want to be near Jesus. Um, and not only that, but here you've got these Pharisees who are coming, and they're showing up on the scene, and they're coming from, you know, the main town. They're coming from Jerusalem, which would be like, you know, people coming from Concord to come and hang out here I guess you know like it's the main capital what's going on we'll send our chief guys and they'll go investigate so you so you not only kind of have this huge crowd of what's going on but you there's these characters that show up and so you have Jesus you have the crowd which we're kind of talking about those two you have the Pharisees which are from Jerusalem so you got the authorities with the you know their sheriff's badge on they're showing up in town to kind of figure out what's going on because can we trust Jesus what's what's he teaching what's he doing And then you have these guys that just kind of pop out of nowhere. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man. So you've got some men. I'm not sure how many that is. And then you've got this guy who's a paralytic, right? And so these men, I think, these men kind of draw us into the story in this this way that is... uh, It's really pretty kind of interesting to imagine. We were talking about this at our missional community the other night where you can imagine... Just kind of what's going on. So you have this paralytic who hears of Jesus. Jesus healing lepers, making uh, withered hands strong again, healing all types of sicknesses and diseases. And this man who's been laying on this bed for who knows how long, hears about Jesus and says, you know what? Not only does he sound like he can heal me, but he sounds like the kind of man who would have compassion on me. So he wants to be near Jesus. And then he not only hears about Jesus and wants to be near Jesus, but he convinces his friends around him, like, this guy seems trustworthy. This guy seems like somebody we can, we can go to to find help from." me. And so he convinces his friends, and then you can imagine the situation where they, okay, here it is, Jesus is teaching. There's this huge crowd going on. We're going to pick up, I don't know this guy's name. I'd kind of like to call him Frank. I don't know if I'd call him Frank, we'll call him Frank. Pick up Frank on the, on the bed. They're going to carry Frank through the town. They're going to get him, up to the house with all the crowd, they're re, they're running into this barricade of all these people in the house, so they can't get through the crowd. They have to go uh, around the house. I assume going up some stairs, up onto the roof, and then they get up onto the roof. They're like, okay, how do we get through the roof down to see Jesus? Uh, let's pull some tiles out of the way. You know, there, there's a lot. And then they have to find ropes. I don't know. I don't know where all this stuff is coming from. You know, like it's just like this stuff. You know, popping up out of nowhere, but. You know, they have these towels, they pull the towels out and they get these ropes and they, they strap them onto his bed and then they lower him down to Jesus. I mean, you think about like, all the barriers they had to overcome because of the simple reality that they thought they could trust Jesus. That they not only could trust him, but they would find Jesus willing to help them. They would, that they wanted to be near Jesus and experience his compassion for their friend. It's, it's really pretty amazing when you think about all the barriers that they had to go through. Picking him up, walking across the, the town, going to the crowd, being rebuffed by the crowd, going to the house, going upstairs. And all these things, just so they could get to the end. You see here at the end of verse 19, in the midst before Jesus, so they could arrive at this place before Jesus. There's a reason why this phrase, before Jesus at the end, because that's where you're supposed to, your eyes are supposed to draw towards the end of the verse and see, before <laughs> Jesus is the emphasis. Before Jesus is where they're trying to get to. So why? They thought they had heard enough about Jesus that they had seen his compassion for people in all these stories, and they wanted him. They wanted Jesus himself. They wanted to be... In front of Jesus. They wanted to be right there with Him. You see, faith persists to get God Himself. Faith persists. So I have all these obstacles. But they had faith in Jesus. And faith persists to get Jesus Himself. Because, yes, they want healing. I'm sure they're wanting healing. But they're really just trying to get in front of Jesus to get His compassion. They want Him. You, know, you see this all over the Bible. You see this time and time again where... Yes, we want God's blessing, but really we just want God himself. We want God himself. You see this in, uh, I know there's a, maybe a strange example to bring up because he's, I'm named after him, but in Genesis 32, there's Jacob in the Bible. Um, this is one of the weird things about being named after a character in the Bible. You want to preach about him, but then it's like, Jacob, but not Jacob, your pastor. Jacob, like, in the Bible, you know, like that guy. <laughs> but here's J- Jacob, he's running... Uh, He's been running his whole life from his twin brother Esau. He's going back to his hometown. He is about to cross over. He sends his family ahead of him because he's trying to make peace with his brother. And as he's about to go over this major river, he stops. And that night he spends the night in prayer. And then who shows up but God himself. And he spends the night wrestling, of all people, with God. He's wrestling with God. And as God is about to leave He begs him, do not leave before I get a blessing. And God, you know, unlike this story where Jesus heals this paralytic, God breaks Jacob's hip, but so that Jacob would get God himself, so that he would get the blessing of knowing God, so that he would know God. And he says, for I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been delivered. So to, to know God, to experience God face to face, to see him and to know God, as these men in the story are, is to be delivered be delivered not only from God Himself, but because we know God, be delivered from all the struggles and pains that would crowd our hearts away from God. You see, this man and his friends, they wanted, they wanted to see God, they wanted to see Jesus face to face because they knew that when they were before Jesus, when they knew that they were in front of Him, that they would experience the blessing of God. They persisted for Jesus face-to-face so that they would experience the blessing of knowing Jesus. Does that, does that resonate with your heart in any way? Are you, are you eager to see Jesus face-to-face? Are you eager to persist through the struggles that you face? I, I know many of you and I know that there are many struggles. In my own heart and for you there are the constant doubts about God's goodness There are the constant anxieties about knowing Him, about all that you bring to the table, all the problems that you have, all the suffering that you've experienced, all the things that would keep us from seeing God face to face. There is then our own sin that would make us fall back in shame from the presence of God. There's all the ways that you failed. But faith persists to see Jesus, because Jesus is compassionate. Jesus, there's something about Jesus in this story, there's something about Jesus in this book that shows us that he is loving and compassionate and eager to meet you. And does your faith persist to see him? Do you persist to see Jesus? And what's interesting here is that if we want to see God face to face, just like this man, we have to be lowered down. This man had to be lowered down to see Jesus. He had to be humbled. Can you imagine being a paralytic? Everybody in town knows who you are. But he has to be lowered down to be able to see Jesus face to face. And I think there's an image here of our own posture towards God. We we must be humbled before we see God face to face. We must be humble. We can't... We can't bring our own works. We can't bring our own goodness. We can't bring our grades. We can't bring our job satisfaction. We can't bring any of those to God and say, Look, I deserve to have an audience with you. I deserve to have a sit-down with you. No, we must be lowered down. We must be humbled. We must have a right assessment of ourselves, which, like this paralytic, means we can do nothing for ourselves. We can't do anything for ourselves. And like this paralytic, we must be lowered down in God's presence in order to see Him, in order to know Him. And so, I think, as we see this man humbled, we see ourselves humbled before God, as we we see in this man this persistent faith, we see how Jesus, we're going to see in this next section, how Jesus responds, how Jesus, in some ways, rewards this type of persistent faith, this humbling faith, this faith that persists to see Him. So, Look with me at verse 20. We'll just pick it right, right back up. So, the man's been lowered down before Jesus. And there he is right before Jesus in verse 20. And when he, this is Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. So, here's this, just to, to pick this up here. Uh, this phrase, man, your sins are forgiven you. Um, just, just so you get it, uh, man is not kind of like a, a demeaning term or just kind of like a flippant term, like, so, except, bro, you know, like something like that, like, or man, man, you're so annoying. It's not like that at all. This is this is like Jesus saying, "Friend, friend my friend, my friend, your your sins are forgiven, you." You see, this this is a sho- this is a shocking statement because here, this man is. He's been lowered down into Jesus' presence, and you can kind of presume. Here's the background: I'm a crippled man, and I want to be healed. I'm being lowered down in Jesus' presence. And what is the first thing that Jesus says to me? Man, my friend, your sins are forgiven you. Like, it's just kind of like, it's not what you would expect, is it? But you see that Jesus, Jesus sees what they're after. Jesus sees that they want to be before him. They want to know him. They want Jesus himself. They, they don't want to just kind of like get Jesus at a the distance. They want Jesus close up. They want Jesus personally. And Jesus sees in their faith a desire for him. And to, and to want Jesus... And to know Jesus is to be forgiven. At the heart of knowing Jesus, Jesus sees in their faith is to be liberated from sin, to be freed from sin. You know, they want Jesus, and Jesus gives them this, what you might call a state of forgiveness. He's been lowered down into Jesus' presence, and then Jesus basically says, your faith in me means you've been transported to this state of forgiveness, this reality of being forgiven, of not having any sins counted against you anymore. And it's just still like, it's just, Jesus does this over and over again in the Gospels where He just kind of like boggles your mind. You're like, but they just, they just want to heal. But Jesus goes over and above. He goes over and above because He is trying to make a point. He is trying to make the point that faith in Him is not just faith in in a miracle worker. He's not just a healer. He's not just a good teacher, He is a Savior, He is a Redeemer. So that's why Jesus, you see here in verse 21, it's almost kind of like He picks a fight. you know. So you have, and the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus perceived their thoughts, and He answered them, why do you question your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? You see, this actually wasn't like a public dispute. Like, there wasn't anything that had been said in public. Like, Jesus heals this man, Jesus forgives this man's sins, and the Pharisees are in the back of the room. You can kind of imagine in your head. Here's, in the middle of the room, the man's been lowered down, Jesus forgives his sins, and then in the back of the room, kind of in their own hearts, uh, Jesus perceives that they are asking these questions about him. You know, I'm sure that, you know, it could potentially be happening right now. That as I am preaching here, you guys are thinking, man, this guy really like, stinks. <laughs> you know, like you could be making, like, you know, so you can kind of imagine in your head what is this, what's going on here? And, um, and so Jesus calls them out in the middle of the room when they haven't said anything to him because I think Jesus is trying to emphasize this reality that he is not just a good teacher, he's not just a healer, but he is a redeemer. Who has come to free people from their sins? And you're beginning to see here these these echoes of scripture, kind of talking to itself, where scripture is beginning to for, be fulfilled, where Jesus is starting to act in ways that fulfill scripture. Uh, so, you, just over in Luke chapter two, verse thirty-four. So Jesus, this is you know we'll we'll preach on this at Christmas time. This is all the Christmas passages where baby Jesus goes into the temple and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother behold this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul and now hear this This is what Jesus will do so that thoughts from many hearts will be may be revealed so the coming of Jesus the The presence of Jesus, the person of Jesus, reveals the heart. It reveals what's going on inside the heart. So here in this moment where this man's faith has literally rested totally on Jesus to be whatever Jesus commands, these men are grumbling in their hearts about this pronouncement of forgiveness of sins. And Jesus knows, I've got a moment here to show I'm not just a healer, I'm not just a teacher, I am the Redeemer, and I am the Son of Man who has come to free men and women from their sins. Faith is liberating precisely because Jesus sees the heart. Jesus knows what's in your heart. Jesus knows all the doubts and failures and all the sins, but He sees to the heart and He knows what's going on there. It's not a surprise to Jesus what you're thinking. It's not a surprise to Jesus what you've been tempted with. And that's why faith is liberating, because even when God sees your heart, Even when Jesus sees your own heart and all that you would not want any of us to know about, even when Jesus sees that, he says to you, Your sins, my friend, are forgiven. My my friend, your sins are forgiven. And so he sees in this moment with the Pharisees a moment to clarify that he's not just this teacher, but he is the Redeemer. And he uses this term for himself. He says, I'm the Son of Man. Now, this is, again, We're saying the Scriptures beginning to talk to itself, where you have Luke, the beginning of Luke, beginning to be fulfilled here. This is another term from Daniel 7 that that is, um, there's parts of Scripture that are kind of like comic books, you know, where they're just so, like, evocative that they just kind of, like, remind you, they just look like they would be a comic book, where you just got, you know, crazy wheels and side wheels and animals with heads all over the place and eyes all over the place, and Daniel is one of those books, so we're not going to read through all of it, but we're just going to look at, I just want to point out, this is where he's getting this phrase from, Daniel 7. This is Daniel, a vision that he has. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there there came one like a son of man. So that phrase, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days, which is God, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. Which shall not pass away so we don't have to be bible scholars here but this is a big deal right like this is uh all nations is kind of a lot of people and dominion over the whole earth is kind of like everything like he has been so the son of man here's this, the picture is going on is god is giving the son of man whoever this character is everything and everybody and so then so here is Jesus, he just like ups the ante. He's like, oh, you guys are kind of frustrated that I forgave this man's sins. Oh, well, I'm going to, to one-up this Old Testament guy that's being prophesied. I'm him. This guy who's going to control everything and that everybody answers to, I'm that guy. So you see that Jesus is kind of like, he keeps, you see, the, to me, this is kind of funny. You, don't, you might not find it funny, but... Here's this, this man being lowered down. He just wants to be healed. Like, he just wants to be healed. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. So he ups the ante. And then these, these scribes and Pharisees are grumbling against him. And he says, oh, you got a problem with that? I'm the son of man. You know, he keeps like going. <laughs> like, and it's just because this man wanted to be before Jesus. He just wanted Jesus. But you see, when you get Jesus, you get something that is far deeper and richer and wider and more expansive and more powerful than you could ever imagine. He has the power, He has the authority to forgive sins because He has been given everything by God. His authority is the grounding, it's the source of our liberty. That's why faith, faith is liberating, is because when you trust in Jesus, you're trusting in this authority of God that can give forgiveness for your sins. He can forgive your sins. He, he sees you... He sees all that you are. He sees all your needs. He sees all your weaknesses and failures and sins against God. And just like to this man he says, "Man, my friend, your sins are forgiven." This authority of Jesus, this authority that is expansive and powerful and quite frankly rather dangerous and frightening. He comes close to you and says, "My friend, your sins, all your offenses against God, your sins are forgiven. You see, this man didn't have anything to commend him to Jesus. He was a crippled man who was being let down on ropes through a roof. He had nothing. He He probably didn't look good. Probably didn't smell good. He probably didn't brush his teeth. But here's Jesus who looks on him with compassion. He looks on you with compassion. You don't have anything to give him. You're just like this man. You've been lowered down before him and you've got nothing to give him. And Jesus, he's the type of Jesus that is eager to give compassion. He's eager to love you. He's eager to forgive you. He is a redeemer who has the authority to forgive sins. He cares just like this man. Jesus does not forget that this man needs healing. Jesus does not forget your weaknesses, and your needs. He doesn't forget. This isn't, this isn't like your sins are forgiven, so just kind of suck it up and don't worry about all the other problems in your life. No, Jesus remembers. But Jesus is trying to make a point here. Your deepest, your deepest need, your deepest problem. You know, this man could have been healed and gone straight to hell because being healed doesn't get you anything unless you've been healed with your relationship with God unless you've been made right with God, all the blessings of this world will do nothing for you. But Jesus heals this gap. The heal, he heals this problem. He heals this problem between God and this man, and he makes him a friend. You see, there's, there's a strange reality uh, where Scripture never talks about us being, about God being our friend, but it does talk about God making us his friend you understand the direction we have no we have no right to say yeah god's my friend but god he loves to talk to us and say no i you are my friend you are my friend you've been welcomed into my my friendship i i love to forgive your sin i love to help you i love to forgive you and you see these men came the men who prompted this whole thing they prompted they, they had come from Jerusalem, which is ultimately where Jesus would go. This whole, this fight, this, this skirmish between them, between Jesus and the Pharisees, this skirmish, I, you know, to be honest, I hadn't even thought about this until Rachel mentioned it in our missional community group the other night. I'm, just, I'm going to keep plugging our, community, our missional communities because I'd love for people to be involved with them. But Rachel pointed this out. This fight begins here And it ends with Jesus at the cross in Jerusalem. These men came from Jerusalem. And Jesus will set his eye to go to Jerusalem. So that he, not because of some political hoodwinking, but because of his own authority, he says later in John, I have authority to lay down my life and I have authority to take it up again. This is Jesus' authority still. But Jesus will walk to Jerusalem in full authority and lay down his life to secure your liberty secure your liberty from sin secure your friendship with god it's his cross that's in view when he says your sins are forgiven this isn't just kind of like because jesus could forgive and that's just what happened and then oh the cross kind of happened as an afterthought no he forgives because the cross is in view the cross is where he will die for the sins of this man Die for the sins that you have committed against God. He will die so that you can be reconciled, so that you can be a friend of God, so that God can truly say, so that God can really say to you, right now, friend, my friend, your sins are forgiven. You see this posture. Jesus' posture towards you is love. You see this posture, and you kind of see Jesus leaning into this man. His posture towards you is love so He can lay down His life for you, so that you can be forgiven of all your sins. All the things this last week that you have, the ways that you have judged your friends, the way that you have yelled at your family, the way that you have been jealous of other people, the way you have lusted and lied, the way that I have done the same things. Because we don't have anything, just like this leper, or this, this parietic, before Jesus, we don't have anything to offer to Him. But He leans in because He would have you be liberated from your deepest problem. You see, so, the question that we've kind of been talking about in the background is can you trust Him? Well, when you have this type of Jesus who leans in to sinners, to weak people like you and me who have nothing to commend us, when He leans into us, my friend, you're forgiven. Maybe it's just me. I think I can trust Him. I can trust Him. Have you, have you experienced this liberation of faith? This, this faith that's liberating? This faith that sets you free from sin? This, this liberating faith, that, uh, this faith in Jesus that sets you free from the guilt and shame that you walk with? The ways in which you can't live up to other people? The ways you can't seem to change that change? You just can't seem to get rid of those angry thoughts. Might, everything might look cool on the outside, but the angry thoughts and the angry heart just don't go away. Jesus liberates; he forgives those sins. He liberates the power that they have over us. So you see, here we've been walking. We've been walking through this passage. Jesus. Jesus talks about persistent faith that pursues Him so we can have Him. And in having Him, this liberating faith, this faith that liberates us from sin and shame and darkness. And then we're going to see the joy of faith. That faith is joyful. Because I think to know this Jesus is to experience true joy, lasting joy. So we're going to look at verse 25 with me here. So Jesus says to this man, I say to you rise up, pick up your bed and go home. And then in verse 25, and immediately this paralytic, he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying, what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God, and amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, "We have seen extraordinary things today." I There are two groups of people here, but they're both glorifying God. You have the paralytic who's glorifying God on his way home. You have the group of people that have all been gathered around and glorifying God for what they've seen. But there is a lot of singing going on here. When God saves you, when God redeems you, when God changes your life, there's a song in your heart. There's a song that bursts out because of what God has done. You see, I'm not sure. I think this man, when he was healed... What it did is it confirmed that Jesus had forgiven his sins. So he went to be healed, and he got, like we were talking about, anted up, big time. He got more than what he asked for, and I'm sure that he went home with a certain amount of joy that was deeper than the crowd around them. Because Jesus had said to him, your sins are forgiven. But the crowd around saw the power and the glory of God. They saw this healing of this man. Remember, we called him Frank. Frank, who'd been in town all all, you know, what, 10, 20 years, been paralyzed and not, never been changed. They saw him suddenly healed and was walking around and carrying this, be- this bed that, he, that had been this identifying mark of shame in his life. Carrying around everything, walking back home. But he went home glorifying God. And the crowd around them, around him watching on, they saw and they're just like, I can't believe I just saw. We just saw Frank get up pick up his bed, and go home. I, this, is ama- this is amazing. Can you imagine? I mean, I know it's kind of like, as a story, it's easy to kind of look over the black and white of the page. But this is a, can you imagine if we had somebody in here right now that Jesus walked down and healed them so that they could just get up and walk? I mean, we just go nuts. I mean, you hear about healing stories all the time. We've seen them in our churches where we've seen people healed of cancer. And it's just incredibly crazy. Just as, I can't believe that God did that. Like, God is so glorious. But you see, at the heart of what this, is, it's because this man has been liberated, he's been set free from his sin, and so he is walking home glorifying God. God, thank you, thank you. God singing about his goodness, singing about who God is. And so let me just draw your attention here at the movement of what happens. This man's sins are forgiven, Jesus heals him, and he goes home singing. I know this is kind of you know, basics of the Bible, but this is why we sing a lot, okay? We talk about Jesus, we talk about the gospel in our worship services right now, and then we sing a lot, like we've been doing and we're going to do. That's just kind of who we are, because just like this passage, when God saves you, he puts a, a redeeming song, he puts a new song of joy in your heart, because you have received what you did not deserve. This man had nothing to commend himself to God. He had nothing that would make God think like, hey, or Jesus think, hey, you know what, I think this guy deserves to get healed today. Just like him, you don't have anything that would draw God's attention to you. But God has looked at you and said, You're my friend. I forgive you your sins. You are healed. This is why we, are, uh, we use the phrase, We're charismatics around here. I don't know if that weirds you out, or if that makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm totally cool with the word. Maybe we can just say, wait, We're charismatics with a seatbelt. Okay? We don't go totally nuts. Um, but we like to praise God. We like to, we like to sing about God. We like to raise our hands. We like to sing with with happy, and glad faces. We like to sing loud. Uh, we like to clap. We believe that God still uses; He still gives us prophetic words and tongues and healings and all that stuff. But it's because of good, the goodness of who Jesus is. The pattern here is that Jesus acts, and we respond with gladness and joy. I mean, it's just it's. I'm, I just hope you're hearing me say, uh, this is not like a complicated like formula. Like God works, we respond with joy because. God is a joyful God, and he loves for us to enter into his joy, you know? That's, that's why we sing. That's why we're expressive. If you, if you struggle with this, this is not trying to um, say that everybody has to be, like, the extroverted personality. I know that I've been around New England long enough to know. Extroverts are kind of like a rare breed in New England. Um, but we, we still want to be expressive. We still want to be um, joyful within the range of our personality. We want to praise God physically, just glorify Him for who He is. So th- don't hear me saying, everybody must now, and the last few worship songs of our worship service, raise your hands because if you don't, then you don't love Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm just saying, it's got to have some effect on you. It, it's got to produce some type of joy in Jesus. And it's because of just how good He is. This is not just like an emotionalism. But it's a a resting. It's It's an enjoyment of Jesus. And I just wonder, you know, as I'm talking about this, I'm talking about this joy that this man, they went home glorifying God. They were in awe of God. They were glorifying God with all these songs. And you're hearing me say this and you're like, yeah, I just have not experienced that in a long time or ever. And, you know, maybe you're just like this man where you don't have a lot to commend yourself to God. But I think you can see in this posture of Jesus that he's eager to give you fresh faith. He's eager to give you a fresh experience of joy. You know, Jesus, Jesus called this man his friend and then he gave him new joy. Maybe, maybe just one way to, to respond to this passage tonight is, is to ask for God for, for new joy, for a fresh joy, just to enjoy him, to respond to him, to glorify him because it's good to sing to God. It's good to enjoy him. It's good just to Yeah, I know. I don't know whose kids those are but we keep it low-key guys here. Uh, you know, just maybe one just to ask God for fresh joy. I just wanna I just wanna hold that out for you. If you're if you're looking at the singing part of the worship song worship service and you're like you just have to endure that to get to the awesome preaching that we have here, um well, you might be slightly deluded, but then secondly, well, God wants to give you fresh joy. <laughs> you want to get you, God wants to give you fresh joy in his presence. So as we're we're gonna turn now in a few moments, and we're gonna take the Lord's Supper, which is gonna remind us of this broken body of Jesus, so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And then take the, take this moment when we receive the Lord's Supper to pray for fresh joy. God I hope you see that Jesus in this story, He's eager. He's leaning in. Do you remember? You can, you can trust Him completely. Because He's leaning in. He's leaning in to give grace. He's gracious. He's loving. He's eager to lean in to give you fresh joy in Himself. He's eager to lean in. If you've never known Jesus, He's eager to lean in and forgive you your sins. He's eager to lean in to heal your soul. You see, we can trust Jesus completely. His love, his love invites us into His presence now. His love, his, this compassion we see of Him. We can trust Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. Thank You for Your joy. We thank You for Jesus. We thank You, God, that You forgive us. Not because of who we are, but because of who Jesus is. God, we ask that we would see Him dying for us on the cross and that we would respond in joy for your forgiveness of our sins. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure